You are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Conversations about business, politics, government, education, and so much more. Now, here is your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Welcome. This is Fly on the Wall podcast. Conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis. I am the former United States Ambassador from the Republic of South Africa. You may have wondered about this name, Fly on the Wall podcast. Well, I had this vision that I would have a podcast with very interesting guests, and we'd have topics such as education and business and government and politics, and that the listeners would be a fly on the wall, listening as the conversation unfolds. So that's the name, Fly on the Wall. My guest today, I'm very excited to say, is a good friend and colleague, and she was the former Secretary of Health and Human Services of the United States and former governor of my home state, Kansas, Kathleen Sabillas. So, Kathleen, welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast. Well, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. It's nice to be with you. Thank you so much. It's good to hear your voice. I want to start, you know, just very informal conversation about your background and certainly in politics, but it may even talk about Washington, D.C. and how we met, because I think that would be interesting to get things moving. Sure, I'm happy to do that. I was born and raised in Ohio. My father was involved in politics from the time I was a little girl. He served on city council and then in Congress and went on to be governor of Ohio and ran the Agency for International Development under President Carter. Wow. So I learned about politics at the kitchen table and um, was involved in some kind of campaign activity, I think, most of my life. It was incredible. Were you, just to interrupt for a second, were, when you were governor of Kansas, was he the governor of Ohio at that time? or was it- No. Okay. He had long since, he was governor of Ohio um, when I was getting out of college. Right. I did get married in the governor's mansion, and (laughs) we actually are the only father-daughter governors in the history of the United States. Oh, fantastic. um, We still have that answer to a trivia question, if you're ever (laughs) asked, you know the right answer. Um, But I had gone to college in Washington and um, stayed in D.C. for a couple of years and worked when I got out of college. And... Um, that's actually where I met my husband, who is the Kansan, and that's how I ended up in Kansas. Right. Uh, but during that period, post-college, I was working in criminal justice and working for a small organization in D.C. that was dedicated to helping the men coming out of D.C. prisons to find work uh, right. once they had um finish their sentence. And it was uh, interesting and challenging work. And you were a um, an up-and-coming executive in a utility company at the time. And yeah. if I recall correctly, you had sort of adopted my organization, the D.C. Citizens Council for Criminal Justice, as a group that you... Um, wanted to provide some help for and some support to. And we met in that um, 
in that connection long before I had a Kansas connection, long before I knew that we would also share that very rich background since both you and your wife came from Kansas. You're absolutely right. And I do remember that because I was involved as an assistant vice president of CNP Telephone Company, which was a subsidiary of the old AT&T. And I had the uh, good fortune to be able to be involved in community activities and support outside the telephone company. And I had an interest in criminal justice and criminal justice issues as a lawyer and trained lawyer. And I knew I got it. I wanted to get involved with criminal justice, particularly as it impacted women. And I do remember working with your organization and beginning a, a whole interest in the whole law of criminal justice and criminal reform. So you brought back many, many memories. <laughs> you know, we were way out ahead of our time. It's it's interesting that finally in 2019, this has become a national topic and lots of people from Republican side and the Democratic side are very interested in criminal justice reform. So you and I were doing this work in the early 70s. You're absolutely and, right. Um, it, it does seem interesting to remind people that this has been going on for a long time. That's right. And we still have work to do. And if, I, re- if I recall, your husband, Gary, was a Georgetown uh, law graduate. And was that about the time that you, you two met? That's right. We mm-hmm. met between his second and third year in law school. He was good friends of friends of mine. And he returned to Kansas after law school to accept a job with a law firm in Topeka. And about six months later, we got married and I joined him in Kansas. Well, that's great. And, you know, we have that Kansas connection. Um, I was raised in Kansas City, Kansas, and went to the University of Kansas. And I know you got a master's degree in public administration from, from my alma mater. So we share that in common. And yes, indeed. Uh, when then, I came back here, I went to graduate school and, and took advantage of the great university that was here. That's fantastic. And then I went on to uh, law school at Washburn in Topeka and uh, spent um, three and a half years. And then my career started in Justice Department in Washington. So I left Kansas and went to Washington, D.C. But I was just amazed about your career in Kansas because you adopted that state. And my, you had quite a run. I uh, just tell our listeners, I, you were an insurance commissioner and you were in the legislature and incredible right. political career. Well, I, I got to Kansas as uh, many women did as a bride coming right. from the East. Um, I didn't come in a covered wagon, but uh, <laughs> I did come West to uh, join my husband and my um advantage looking back on it was that um, his family was also very involved in politics. His dad was a popular state legislator from Western Kansas and then went on to represent Kansas in the United States Congress. So my married name, my last name was very well known to Kansans. but when I first came to Kansas, I, I did a variety of other work. I did criminal justice work for a while. I did some work with a big lawyers association. And it really wasn't until our local legislator from Topeka, who was a woman and a friend of mine, decided not to run and said to me, well, why don't you run? That I began to think about the fact that I might someday be a candidate. Um, All right. 
my kids were very young at the time. They were two and five, and I was really working too many hours. Gary was a busy trial lawyer, and I was working and traveling a lot. And actually going to the Kansas legislature was a way to stay home more time because Kansas has a citizen legislature, a part-time legislature. Right. And we were actually in the capital city. So I kind of ran for the legislature to go home um, <laughs> and be more available to my kids. And that turned out to be um, a great idea. I I ran and won and served four terms, eight years as a Kansas legislator. Um, and then as they were in the later years of high school and early high school, the boys are three years apart. I ran for an office that no Democrat had ever held in Kansas, which, which is was? the insurance commissioner. Right. It was an elective office. And on that, I recall when you were an insurance commissioner, there was an insurance conference. I must have been a global conference uh, in South Africa, in Cape Town, South Africa. That's right. And again, our paths uh, crossed once again. That's right. Well, I... I had long learned, well, I learned when you got an honorary degree one year from your law school alma mater in Washburn. Right. And I saw your name on the program and I thought, I know that guy. <laughs> um, we really hadn't seen each other since the early D.C. days. And right. I reached out to you at that point and said, this is amazing. I didn't know you were from Kansas. I'm now in Kansas. I... I think I was either a legislator or just coming into the insurance commissioner's office. So we reestablished contact. Right. And then you're absolutely right. There was um, an international meeting of uh, various commissioners because South Africa was beginning to set up some sort of framework for the kinds of insurance that we had had in the United States for a long time. And several of us were sent as delegates to be part of this global discussion on insurance issues. And it, to our great fortune, it turned out to be in South Africa at a time where you were the United States ambassador. So Absolutely. we got to come see you in Cape Town. Oh, I know. And for those who, uh, the listeners, uh, uh, United States ambassadors are nominated and confirmed by, nominated by the President of the United States, confirmed by the U.S. Senate. And I was fortunate enough to be nominated by President uh, Clinton and confirmed, and uh, had this beautiful experience of being the U.S. ambassador at the time that Nelson Mandela had just been, uh, he had been released and became uh, the first democratically elected president, and had just stepped down when I came on. And we had a home in Cape Town, and one of the responsibilities, we also had a, co a home in Pretoria as well, where the embassy was. But one of the responsibilities is to connect with Americans, and I certainly knew about this uh, insurance commission uh, coming to Cape Town, and then I found out that uh, Kathleen Sabius was one of those insurance commissioners. So if I recall, we hosted a, a uh, either a dinner or a reception or something in our home in Cape Town. And, uh, you absolutely did. And it was, it was one of the highlights of the trip. <laughs> it was great. So I, I, and then I noticed that not only that, um, your political career then took off. Uh, I don't know about the timing, uh, and you ran for governor. And I know the state is very predominantly re Republican. I grew up uh, in Kansas, and uh, there were there was two Democratic counties generally, uh, Sedgwick County around Wichita, and 
Wyandotte County around Kansas City, and I grew up uh, in Wyandotte County. And there was a Democratic governor when I was growing up named Docking, George Docking, I think. But very few uh, elected officials were Democrats. And uh, you ended up being uh, governor of that state. And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, I did have the opportunity to run statewide twice and be elected twice as insurance commissioner. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I was able to establish a sort of base of support and, and you know, people kind of knew who I was and, and had a, an opportunity to do various projects around the state. So when Bill Graves, who was the Republican governor, ended his two terms, it was an open seat. And I did then run for governor and was elected. And you're absolutely right about Kansas politics. It, it looks uh, from the outside like a very, very red state. Right. The legislature, except for a few brief times, has been predominantly Republican. The congressional delegation is overwhelmingly Republican. But there's something about the governor's office. Right. And that um, for the last 50 years, there have been um, almost... 22 years of Democratic governors and wow. 22 years of Republican governors. Amazing. So it's in a much more evenly balanced office um, than cert- we haven't had a Democratic member uh, be elected to the United States Senate since 1932. My but goodness. Kansas will elect Democratic governors. And I had the great honor to not only be elected in 2002, but reelected in 2006. And when you mention that, that brings up a question um, that I, I want to ask you about the, the governorship. I mean, you know, being a Democrat and being in that position, as I said, as you had mentioned, they had, a you know, would elect governors. Um, now, there is a Democratic governor that a uh, person had just elected uh, a governor is also a Democrat, right. right? That's right. And so, She's a very good friend of mine. And she actually is the third Democratic woman governor. We're the only state in the country to ever have elected three Democratic women as governor. Oh, congratulations. My state, yes. my state is doing something <laughs> very well. On all kinds of fronts. It's, it's a great but surprise. I, I don't want to jump too far because I, 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 a lot I want to talk to you about. But, you know, 2020 is coming up. And I just was reading. I try to keep up on Kansas politics. I don't know uh, why, but I do. And uh, I noticed that Pat Roberts, a long-serving, uh, long-serving uh, senator from Kansas, is uh, retiring. And so there's a Senate seat that's going to be opening up very soon. And I, I thought about, aha, uh, my good friend Kathleen Sabias is now living in Kansas, and I'm not so sure she's got a full-time job. I know she's running a company, a consulting company, but maybe she might be thinking about the Senate. Um, that's very unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) Having been on the ballot eight times, I'm eager to help other people, uh, step into the political arena. Wow. Well, listen, I know you would be, I know you were an excellent governor and you would be a tremendous Senator from the state of Kansas. And, you know, I'll keep up with you. Maybe you, you might change, But, (laughs) but you know, your career just, you know, began to take on other dimensions and, uh, before I ask you about being uh, a secretary of a cabinet, very important cabinet position, 
the prelude to that was thanks to you and Gary. Uh, this is about a good time. It was about uh, uh, 2009. Uh, Barack Obama was elected in 2008. And I think Gary was involved, your spouse was involved with a group called Native Sons and Daughters of Kansas. And I got a call from Gary, and he said he wanted to put my name in uh, to, to get an award, a distinguished award as a native son of Kansas. And I was quite proud. The organization was very prestigious and had been around for years, and I was very, very proud. And he said that uh, this would happen in, in January, I think, 2009. And um, uh, I came and received that honor. And that same weekend, uh, um, I invited the two of you, Gary and you, as my guest to the Alfalfa Club dinner uh, in Washington, D.C. And I'm not going to spend too much time, but the Alfalfa Club dinner is a dinner of very prominent business and government and community leaders. And they have one dinner, a very fun dinner, off the record, press is not involved, uh, every uh, January. And I'd invited you, and I was admitted to the Alpha Alpha as a member, and each member can invite two guests. And I can remember as we walked into the auditorium, usually they, is at the Capitol Hilton, not an auditorium, the Capitol Hilton for dinner, um, usually you your guests sit next to you. And as we looked at the program with all these distinguished people, Supreme Court justices, the President of the United States, the First Lady, the Obamas were there, and... Uh, we, uh, Gary and I looked at the program and found out that we were sitting together, but you were sitting at the head table. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, uh, my guess, I'd invited you and uh, you were sitting at the head table. Now, do you remember that story at all? <laughs> I do. I do remember the story. Yes. Um, but uh, I think I think at that point, because if um if I'm correct, it was actually um, once uh, I was a member of the cabinet. Is that not correct? Because I not think right, that, not really. Let me tell you what okay. I think. Well, not, maybe not, I was then being considered. You were being for that. considered. <laughs> as, a, as a matter of fact, and they may have gotten me to the head table. <laughs> that's but. Right. As a matter of fact, you were being considered because you you introduced me to Valerie Jarrett. Uh -huh. And those of my listeners know that Valerie Jarrett was a very close friend of Michelle Obama and the president and from Chicago, a very prominent person. She was very active as a liaison to the business community and lots of other issues. Uh, and Kathleen knows more about this than I do. But you're the one who introduced me that that evening to Valerie Jarrett. And I think they were considering you for a very important post. And that's why you were <laughs> my guest, but you were at the head table. <laughs> well, that could that could very well be. And Valerie, um, who I got to be friends with in uh, 2003 and 2004, is the one who introduced me to then um, State Senator Barack Obama, wow. who I met before he actually ran for the United States Senate. So Valerie is a connector of all kinds of wow. Uh, yeah. Well, tell me how that began to unfold, because I was a part of that at 2009 at the Alfalfa Club dinner. You were at the head table. And I was very proud that my guest was at the head table and very, <laughs> and very proud of you. And then the next thing I knew, um, shortly thereafter, uh, you were nominated and confirmed as, um, I think, the 21st Secretary of 
of Health and Human Services. Uh, I was so proud. So just tell our listeners what it's like to be a secretary and what it was like to be in the Obama cabinet. I think that would be quite, quite interesting. Well, I had um, met Barack Obama when he was campaigning for the United States Senate in Chicago. And um, then I think the country got to meet him um, during the course of that campaign when he delivered what is still an electrifying um, speech given from the convention floor and uh, suddenly became kind of a national figure. He was then elected to the United States Senate and very quickly people, I think, began talking to him about running for president. And I was um, somebody who was a governor. And actually, um, at the time that uh, President Obama ran for the office the first time, there were 30 Democratic governors. And so a lot of us were interested in this young senator, although at the time it appeared that Hillary Clinton was the likely nominee and she had lots of contacts throughout the Democratic Party. Um, so I I had been true to my word. I campaigned for him and indeed he won the primary and then was elected president and had talked to me a number of times about coming to Washington, being part of his cabinet. Um, and when the opportunity for health and human services was presented. Um, it was an office that, while I really loved being governor of Kansas, while I really felt I needed to, you know, do everything I could for the citizens of the state who elected me, I knew that this was an office where I could work with this president on national health reform and that anything we did at the national level would certainly positively impact Kansas people. Um, so right. I, I accepted his um, offer and left uh, Kansas about a year and a half before my term was completed and had a very capable lieutenant governor step into that role. But HHS um, is one of the largest domestic agencies, has about 90,000 employees in 50 countries around the world, as well as in the United States, and runs um, 11 different agencies, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, which has regulatory power over our food supply and a lot of the drugs, Um, the National Institutes of Health, which is kind of the gold standard for health research in this country and around the world, most of the children and family programs. In fact, your listeners um, would be aware of of HHS now because, unfortunately, they were involved in a lot of the issues around family separation at the border. Right. And they run the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which um, had responsibility for once refugees come into this country for safely housing and um, processing individuals. So it's a broad-based agency. Um, Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid? 
Also? Yes, Medicare mm-hmm. and Medicaid under the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where wow. about one out of every three Americans has health insurance. Right. So it, it has um, agencies that touch uh, most families, all the mental health services, all the drug abuse services, all of um, uh, runs Head Start, Early Head Start. Um, all of that is within the Office of uh, Health and Human Services. And with this president, um, who wanted then to do health reform, we also had the opportunity to work on a very major piece of health reform legislation, the Affordable Care Act. Listen, uh, you have been so generous with your time. And uh, I just want to say to my listeners, this is Fly on the Wall podcast uh, conversations uh, with Ambassador Delano Lewis. And my guest is former Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius and former governor of my home state of Kansas. And, you know, I just would like to take a few more minutes and to talk about the Affordable Care Act uh, because that piece of legislation was just monumental in terms of uh, uh, social legislation of our time. And politically, it's had its ups and downs, and there have been attempts to dismantle it and to destroy it, uh, but it is still standing. And I'd like to hear your comments about it before we close. Just tell us about your that achievement and your feeling about it and the future uh, for health care. Well, Barack Obama said when he declared his intent to ask for the nomination of the Democratic Party for president, that one of his central goals was to uh, pass a major health reform legislation in his first term. Every Democratic president and most Republican presidents had tried that, um, some version of more universal coverage. And most of those bills had failed since the passage of Medicare and Medicaid in 1965. Um, so it was not a promise that um, was easily kept, but true to his word, uh, 15 months after he was sworn into office, President Obama had accomplished what um, former presidents had failed to do, which was get a bill through Congress, which was actually um, did two things. Primarily, it allowed states to expand their Medicaid program and have a very generous federal state cost sharing. So the federal government picked up um, the vast majority of costs of newly insured individuals in Medicaid programs. And it also provided an opportunity for individuals who were working but had no affordable health insurance in their workplace to um, enroll in private health insurance with some government help paying um, a portion of their premium based on on an income level. So those two groups of people, the lowest income workers who qualified for Medicaid and folks who didn't have good coverage in their workplaces suddenly had an opportunity to enroll. And you're absolutely right. It's it's been um, like most healthcare changes fraught with a lot of politics. I think the Republicans decided that it would be their number one target and shut the government down on the day that the law was to begin. Right. They tried 
through the Supreme Court to get the law repealed. They have tried at the state level to block the law. But at this point, uh, we have, um, you know, it's almost, the law is almost 10 years old. Uh, in 2020, the will be the 10th anniversary. Almost 20 million people have coverage today that That's did fantastic. not have it. And um, I think the, you know, while there have been some portions of the law that have been chipped or chiseled away, the even a Republican Congress was not successful in repealing the framework of the law. And the Supreme Court has found the law constitutional. So the framework is still very much there. And I think it's going to continue. And before we close, I'd just like to say that we're speaking to uh, Kathleen Sebelius, former Health and Human Services Secretary. And the thing I want to end with is just this thought that here is a woman, and I say a woman, who has achieved monumental success in the United States uh, from growing up in Ohio in an Irish Catholic family who knows politics and her father was governor um, and moved to Kansas and became a legislator and a governor and then moved to a cabinet position. I've been talking through my books. I've written two books. One, it talks about it all begins with self, how to discover your passion and connect with people and succeed in life. And my second book is all about uh, no condition is permanent. Uh, it's uh, my life story and things I've achieved. And what I want to end with is here I'm talking to a person who has achieved and achieved under, I'm sure, many obstacles as a woman trying to deal with uh, men and uh, in in the legislative world and the political world. Uh, I'm sure she faces uh, discrimination as, uh, uh, along the way. But I wondered if you could close out with some advice to our listeners about uh, what advice what advice you would give about succeeding and success? And what would you say would be your tip or secret to success? Well, I'm not sure I have any um, well-kept secrets. I think <laughs> um, as your life illustrates, uh, it's a probably a combination of factors, uh, not the least of which is, is having some good fortune along the way. That's for sure. Or, health. I, I was very lucky in the parent lottery. Uh, we don't get to choose our parents, but right. um, I certainly ended up with a strong, supportive uh, framework uh, to grow up in. Finding good mentors uh, is enormously helpful. And my advice always to people who run into teachers or other kinds of adults or coaches who tell you you are not capable of doing something or you are not um, able to do something, then find a different person to talk to because right. that individual is not likely to be particularly helpful. You and I both, my adopted state, your birth state, come from um, a state motto that is uh, to the stars through difficulties. difficulties. And I think that, that that's an appropriate message that shoot very high, uh, that it's uh, not the lack of trying um, isn't usually an issue. It's some people set their sights way too low. So shoot high and there are always going to be problems along the way. If you can figure out a way to 
handle the adversity and find another path forward and keep going, it's likely that you, you will have great success. So, um, I, I am confident that this generation of younger people uh, is well equipped to do some things that will make what those of us who are older dudes, uh, <laughs> have accomplished look, look pretty puny, by comparison, and I'm just eager to see what the next generation can do once they assume great leadership roles. Well, thank you so much. Uh, what beautiful words. I think that's a great ending. Um, I would like to say that uh, uh, I have been married uh, to Gail Jones-Lewis for 58 years. We have four adult sons and 11 grandchildren and I have been blessed uh, uh, beyond measure. Yes, there have been struggles. Yes, there have been difficulties. But uh, through hard work, solid education, perseverance, and good mentors are the things that the secretary mentioned. I have had some measure of success. And But what life is about is that generation to come. And I'm learning every day from my grandchildren. And, and uh, that is our future. So you have been listening to Fly on the Wall podcasts. Conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis, and our guest is former Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of you, and I'm so proud to be a Kansan, and you are a star, and I will continually stay in touch because I know there are still more good things and great things to come. So we'll sign off. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast. For more information about this episode and previous episodes, plus great merchandise and more, please visit our website at flyonthewallpodcast.com today.